we thank you and praise you, Lord, that by your grace and through your shed blood that we can indeed be a sanctuary that's indwelt by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray right now as we go to your word that your spirit would minister to every heart. It would not be the words of men, but Lord, it would be the word of your spirit, a word, the word of God being ministered to every heart that's here. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 23, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. And a couple things, one thing real quick to have you guys pray about. You know, I love meeting in this building. How about you? It's a blessing. Amen. It's great. It's wonderful. I love it. But at the same time, we're running out of parking. Maybe you're not aware of that. But on Sundays especially, sometimes you show up and there's no parking left or and there might be ways we can find 10 or 12 or 15 more spots, but the way the church is growing, we're going to have to do one of two things in the not-too-distant future. We're going to have to either go to two services, which I don't want to do, or find another place to meet that's bigger. And so be praying because we're looking at a certain place right now. Um, we're, in a sense, entering into negotiations at least, or praying about entering into negotiations on a spot that, um, the way it looks now, to seat about 700 and something people. Have the, we'd have the 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We'd be able to have services there all the time, be able to have midweek, everything there. We'd be able to have a full-time bookstore and a coffee shop, all that kind of stuff. It would just be like a real church. Amen? We already are a real church. Amen. <laughs> but uh, be praying about that because here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be foolish and get ahead of God, but we also don't want to be faithless and be behind Him either. Amen? And so, hey, I'm, I'm willing to meet here for the next 10 years if that's what the Lord wants. And we'd have to have some more parking, but God can do that. Amen? But the other, the other option, again, is the building. So just be praying, because the pastors, we're going to be talking about it more on Friday. We've been looking into all the costs of moving in and how much more it would cost every month and things like that. But where God guides, God provides. Amen? Amen. He's a faithful God, so just keep it in prayer. One thing about it, it's over by Harvey West Park. It's right near Costco, so people would be driving by it by the thousands every day. It would be wonderful in that way. And so God's will be done. Amen? All right, and we'll meet here as long as he wants us to. Now, Deuteronomy 23, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study. And, and as we do this, remember that Deuteronomy means second giving, or the second giving of the law. He's telling them again. And you know, so much of the Bible is just us being reminded of what we already know. A lot of times we come to Bible studies. I remember someone telling me about a year or two ago, saying, well, I don't come on Sunday mornings anymore. And I go, really, why not? Well, I've already been through the New Testament. I'm like, we're not reading Moby Dick. It's the Bible. Amen? We need to study God's Word every single day. Amen? And it is living and breathing. And we can go through the same chapter ten times, and God will minister something to us more each time. And so it's not an old antiquated book. It's the living, breathing Word of God. And so, so much of what we see in God's Word is a reminder of some of the things we already know. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded. Amen? I need to be reminded of what's important, what God's heart is for me. Because I get so focused on the world, sometimes I forget and God's heart is that I would be reminded. So we're continuing as he's given this instruction to the next generation. And so far what he's told them is, you know, he's talked to them about the blessings of obedience and one true worship. And we talked about what God thinks about other religions. And, and again, hey, by the way, you know, with the new pope coming in and people are all, what, what about this new pope? Here's the thing. The biggest problem that's going on in the world today is the ecumenical movement. You know what that means? Bringing all, bring all the churches together or all the religions together. Well, that doesn't work because there's only one God, amen? 
And there's only one Lord, there's only one Savior, there's only one King. And when anybody reaches out and says, well, I'm reaching out to bring all the world's religions together, that's not a good thing. We don't need to bring the world's religions together. We need to reveal that all the other world religions are false. And they're basically doctrines of the devil. That's pretty direct, isn't it? And, and, the rest, and that's the only thing that, that, again, people think that's being politically correct, reaching out. And so I, my prayer is that we would so clearly define the difference between the God we serve and the false gods of this world. And so many people are saying, oh, it's great that they're reaching out to the Buddhists and the, you know, the Muslims and we're getting them all under one big tent. Well, get, guess what? That's the fulfillment of end times prophecy. And it's not the Lord who's doing that. It's the enemy. So we see that he talked about what God thinks about other religions, about how to live every aspect of life, to remember all that God has done for you. The true source of wisdom is God's word. So these are basic things that we already know, but he's reminding them because they're getting ready to go into a land of giants, getting ready to go into a land that's flowing with milk and honey, but at the same time they're going to face opposition. And we need to remember who we are in Christ or we're going to crumble when we face opposition. We're going to crumble in the face of our circumstances if we don't remember the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and how great and awesome our God is. Now last week, we talked about how God cares about the details. And I'm glad that God cares about every detail of my life. I'm glad that God is interested in every decision I make. And, and it, with that being the case, then I should be praying about every decision I make. I should really be seeking the Lord and not just doing things off the cuff and thinking it doesn't really matter as long as I just... You know, I'm headed in the right direction. No, I truly believe that God cares. If he's taking the time to number the hairs on our head, if he's taking the time to know the number of cells in your body, then he does care about the decisions you make. And last week we talked about compassion and tenderness and being separate from the world and personal purity. And I want to encourage you, again, if you have any questions about marriage and the sanctity of marriage, grab the tape from last week. Now this week, we're going to look at true hearts of fellowship. And in tonight's chapter, as Moses continues to instruct the children of Israel in preparation for entering into the land of promise, again, a land flowing with milk and honey, but also a land with giants and fortresses and pagan idolatry, he's going to, again, continue to prepare them and say, hey, guys, as you're getting ready to go in, you're going to face opposition, and you need to understand that I'm with you. Now, know this, too, that he said that when you go in, you're going to be immediately facing battle and when you do I've already won the battle so you need to go in there and just be obedient and I'll give you victory he's told us the same thing in our walk we don't need to walk around defeated as Christians we don't need to walk around overwhelmed by our circumstances we don't need fear we should not fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear amen the world's afraid we don't need to be God's still in control and he always will be and he told them as they went in that they were to wipe out all those who were in front of them but then he also said they're going to be surrounding nations. We'll look at this a little more. He said, you're going to go out and conquer them, but you're going to offer them peace first. And only if they reject peace, then you destroy them. Now, that's a picture of what Christ did with us. He offers each of us peace. We have a choice to make to accept or reject the Prince of Peace. So tonight, as we look at the chapter, we're going to be seeing again just a, the true heart of fellowship. How God has a design and a plan for us in the body of Christ and the way we treat each other and also how we minister to the world. So we're going to see several points tonight. First of which will be those excluded from the assembly of the Lord. Things that can keep us from true fellowship. There are things that cause us to fall out of fellowship with God. We break fellowship with God and it's never God's fault. Amen. God doesn't move, we do. We're also going to see that He desires that there be cleanliness within the camp. 
And these are things that can harm the fellowship. You know, we, we go out and sin against God, it not only harms us, but if we bring it back into the body, it harms the body. It can harm our marriage. It can harm our children. It can harm those that we're involved in ministry with. It can, and so it's so important that we just not even look for clean hearts within ourselves, but we should be holding each other accountable in love, not pointing fingers, but in love. So that, again, God can do all He wants to do in our lives. We're going to see providing a place of refuge for those seeking escape from bondage. Praise God for that. This should be a place of refuge. The church is a hospital, not a police station. It's not a place people come in and we beat them with sticks. It's a place they come in and we heal their wounds, right? We point them to the one who can heal their wounds, our Lord and Savior. We're also going to see that we're not to participate in sinful behavior for the sake of the gospel. This is something that goes on today. There's this, there's this thing now to, you know, let's reach out to the world so let's be more like the world so the world will want what we have. But that's the wrong tact. We'll talk about that tonight. Not to profit from the misfortune of your brothers, to be a man or woman of your word, let your yes be yes or no, your no be no, and not to take advantage of your brother's generosity. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at true hearts of fellowship, those excluded from the assemblies of the Lord, things that can keep us out of fellowship. And this is a great first verse to start off with. Let me read it to you. He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. What does that mean? Every guy in here is in pain just reading it. <laughs> Any man who's been castrated. All right? That's pretty direct, isn't it? And some years even say any man whose who stones have been broken, depending on the translation you have. Okay, I think we get the point. Why is that in the Bible? Why is that in the, it's in the Bible for a reason, okay? Any man who was made a eunuch. Now, you need to understand, whenever you read a verse, always think context. Who's he writing to? What's he writing about? And where are they about to go? They're about to enter into the land of Canaan that is filled with pagan idolatry. And one of the things that they did in pagan worship was they had a lot of sexual immorality and prostitution, as we're going to see. But one of the things that some of the men did is they literally were castrated as a form of worship to these false gods. Man, I'll tell you what, that's a God I don't want to serve, amen? (laughs) Time out, wait a minute, back up the truck, what are you talking about? That's not our God, anybody tells you that, that's not God, amen? And so we see here that this idolatry surrounding them, these eunuchs were made, was there for devoted service unto these false gods. And he said, anybody who's done that shall not enter into the assembly of the Lord. Now what is the assembly of the Lord in this context? It's the place of worship. It's a place of honoring the Lord. It's a place of being involved in serving in the temple and positions of authority and godly intercession. Now we know this, that later in Isaiah, it speaks in Isaiah 56, it shows that these eunuchs and foreigners can be accepted before the Lord if they would obey Him. So they're not beyond salvation. But at this point, they're beyond being used in a position of authority. They're beyond being involved actively in in worship in the temple because they've disqualified themselves by being so dedicated to the false gods of this world. So he said, you know what, if someone has done that, they're not allowed to enter in. Now what has that got to do with us? Because salvation's possible, but being used in a mighty way was not. Well, one of the things that the Lord has called us to do as Christians is to be reproducing. And I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. As Christians, healthy sheep should beget healthy sheep. We should be making disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus said. He said, go therefore into all the world and make 
disciples of all nations. And so a true believer in Christ should be somebody who is reproducing, somebody who is bearing, quote, spiritual offspring, if you will. The Lord's the one who saves them, but we're the ones who disciple them and minister to them and love on them. And too often I meet people who want to be involved in ministry, but the ministry is all about them. You'd be amazed. I know people that they go on 10 missions trips a year, but every one of them is in a different direction, and none of them are reaching out to any. I mean, it's like, what are you doing? Who are you discipling? Who are you investing your life in? Who are you ministering to? Instead of going halfway around the world 10 different times, why don't you turn to the person next to you and start raising them up in the love of God? Amen? Now, I'm all for missions. You guys know that I love missions. But I believe before we cross the globe, we better be ready to cross the street. Amen? And so, so often we see Christians who are not reproducing these, basically saying you're not going to enter into God's highest. You're not going to enter into that place of ultimate worship, of being used in a mighty way by God, into a position of authority in the church. I tell people all the time, if you cannot follow, you will never be able to lead. And if you are not making disciples, if you're not ministering to individuals, you'll never be able to lead a group of people. So there needs to be that burden. And, and so there's the practical application that we as believers should be reproducing. We should be healthy sheep to get healthy sheep. And I want to tell you something. If you're in fellowship, you can't help but grow. And if you're in fellowship, you can't help but start ministering to the world around you. Your life's going to be different, and you're going to be contagious, and we're in that constant place of fellowship. We'll be healthy. But you know what? When you isolate yourself, and you have a lack of responsibility, and you have a lack of reproduction and a lack of accountability, you're going to have an unhealthy walk that's going to have little impact on the world. God has not called us to be the Lone Ranger. Amen? Lone Ranger Christianity is out. God has called you to be a part of a, a local body using the gifts God's given you to minister to those around you. So the application is that we must be reproducing. Verse 2. One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So those born of fornication, adultery, prostitution, or incest. Now this is a clear warning of how such sin would impact the entire family for generations to come. Notice that. Illegitimate relationships for 10 generations. They're not going to be able to enter into that place of being in a position of authority, a place of worship, a place of being in the center of God's highest. You know what, guys? Divorce doesn't just impact the two people getting a divorce. It impacts the whole family. It impacts the children. It impacts the grandchildren sometimes. And it goes on for generation. And God's heart is, that's why divorce should never be taken lightly. Never. Now, I want to say this. If you've been divorced, God will forgive you. And God can still use you in a mighty way, and He can restore you to yet another relationship down the road. God can do that. But at the same time, if you're married, divorce should never be an option. That word should never come out of your mouth. And sadly, what's happened here because of illegitimate relationships and, and sexual relationships outside of marriage, that it's, it goes on to taint generations to come and to keep people away from God's highest. Again, the sins of the parents impacts the entire family. You know what? Parents, know your walk will impact your kids. And I want to say this. Why is it saying illegitimate, cannot enter into the assembly of God? Well, God has called us not to be His stepchildren or even His grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. Amen? What does that mean? You can't get saved because your parents are saved. 
You're not going to heaven because your, you know, your, your mom and dad are in the, in the ministry. Your, your dad's a, uh, a missionary. Your, your mom, your aunt, your uncle, whatever. That's not going to save you. I know people that will say that to me. Well, my, my grandfather's the head of this church. My other grandfather's a bishop. And my other grand... So what? What's that got to do with you? Where are you at with Jesus? And so you're not getting into heaven because of the relationship that someone else has with God. And so we need to have not an illegitimate relationship in a sense, trying to get there as stepsons or foster kids of God or something like that. We need to be His children, amen? And how do we become His children? We must be born again. When we're born again, He adopts us into His family, and we are children of Almighty God. Each of us, when we have been born from above, become his children. The word says, as many as have received him, to them he gave the power or the privilege to be sons and daughters of God. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, we looked at it last Sunday, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. So true hearts of fellowship are producing offspring, and they are born from above. They're children of God. That's true heart of fellowship. Verse 3. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Now that's pretty heavy. How come the Ammonites and the Moabites are not going to be able to enter the assembly of the Lord? Be put in a position where they can worship and draw near to God. Why is that? Well, look what the next verse says. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pathor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. You know what? God doesn't take it lightly when people go after his kids. He doesn't take it lightly. And I'm, you know, I'm glad to hear that. How about you? Amen? I'm glad to know. You know, you know what it tells me? I don't have to fight back. Let God do it. You know, it's interesting, without getting into details, I've got a guy who's just ravenous with me right now, sending me emails, just blasting me, like, constantly. And it's a guy that I used to know, and it's just really sad. And I mean, he's just brutal. I mean, attacks my family, attacks my kids, attacks, my, attacks our church, attacks, you know, when the article came out about Pastor Bill, attacks us about that. I mean, just attacks Chuck Smith, attacks every guy. You know, and, and every time I get one, I want to answer him back. And it's a, by the grace of God, he's not three feet away from me, or he'd be a foot shorter, right? But every time, the Lord just keeps reminding me, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's in his hands. And so finally what we did, we got smart, and we put a little thing that every time he tries to email, he's going to bounce back and say, no thanks or something. I don't know what it says. This guy doesn't want to hear from you anymore, you know? Because, again, it's not a fruitful exchange. But so often, we want to defend ourselves. That's what the world tells us to do. Stand up for your rights. You shouldn't be treated that way. Well, no, just leave it in God's hands. Let God do it. He'll take much better care of us. Well, the Ammonites and the Moabites found that out the hard way. Because instead of honoring God and honoring God's people, when they came out, they came out against them. And if you remember, the Ammonites, again, they treated the children of Israel cruelly on their way when they were headed into Canaan. They would not give them bread or water. They showed them no kindness, these weary travelers. And then the Moabites, along with the Midianites, remember Balak, if you guys were here? We're going through numbers. Remember Balak? What did Balak do? Balak bribed Balaam to curse Israel. And he said, I'm going to give you, I'll give you this, I'll give you, go curse Israel. And so Balak went and tried to curse Israel, or Balaam did. Now remember, Balaam was riding on a donkey. You guys remember that story? And the donkey turned around and started talking to him. And the funniest part about the story is Balaam started talking back. If a donkey talks to me, that's enough. That's it. 
I think I got it, okay? But the donkey turns around and tells them there's an angel in front of him. So they tried to curse God's people. And you know what? Bad position to be in, because now the Lord says, you guys are not entering into the assembly of the Lord. You're not going to be used in a mighty way. Now, the good news is, in the midst of all that, there is still grace. Because there's a famous Moabitess. What's her name? Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. So even though the Moabites, as a people, had rejected God and were facing the wrath of God, God was still saving the individual who was willing to turn to the Lord. And Ruth married a man by the name of Boaz, right? Kinsman redeemer, right? And they had a great-grandson by the name of David. And from that line came Jesus. So praise God that even though the people as a whole were cursed, that God was still saving the individual that would come to the Lord. And we need to make sure we never get into that trap of becoming, you know, where we look at certain nationalities and look down at them. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Amen? Amen? And it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter what your background is, God still desires to save you. But at the same time, these people were facing judgment because they had come against God's people. Not only that, the Ammonites and the Moabites didn't start out very well either. Because their whole line came from Lot having an incestuous relationship with two of his daughters. And that's where these guys came from. So they didn't start well, and then it only got worse as they came against God's people. And you know what? When archaeologists discovered the area where they, where these, where they had settled, they found more idols per capita there than anywhere. Little idols to Baal. And, see, this just goes to show you that God doesn't just reject people out of hand. God gives people opportunities to come to Him, and if they continue to reject Him and continue to deny Him, then He just gives them their way. He gives them their will. He'll never force Himself upon anybody. False religion was not to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Those who served false gods. Again, I don't care how sincere you are, if you're serving any other God but Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the perfect trend. If you're serving any other God, I don't care how sincere you are, you're sincerely wrong. And you're sincerely serving a God that it doesn't exist. And so he's saying to them very clearly that false religion will not enter in. Verse 5. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Man, you know, underline that verse. What a blessing. The enemy came to curse them, and God says, you know what, and I turned it into a blessing because I love you. And when the enemy comes against us, we need to just leave it in God's hands and trust that what Satan means for evil, God can use for good. And whatever he does is because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. Boy, that just takes all the load off, doesn't it? This makes it so much easier to deal with life. Well, look, but this person was unfair, and what they said about me wasn't true. And this person attacked me, and what a big lie. And Lord, i got to defend. No, just leave it to me. I'm a faithful God. I know what's happening. Nobody's going to vote me out of office. I'm still going to be God next week, no matter what. And I know, and, I'm gonna lo- and I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to take care of you. We need not fear the curses of the enemy, because if God is for us, again, who can be against us? Verse 6. You shall not seek their peace nor their property all your days forever. Not only did their attempts to curse Israel fail, but their actions also resorted in the permanent exclusion from Israel's national blessings. Everybody wanted to trade with Israel. Why? Because it was a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, those of you who go with us to Israel next March, we got tentative dates, by the way, the 20th to the 31st, they'll be confirmed tomorrow, okay? 12-day trip, we should have flyers out on Sunday. We're, we're waiting because we want to make sure we get the, the right uh, guide. I have a guy that I really like, and if we don't get him, we'll move the dates. But 
When we go to Israel, it's amazing. You're driving along, and you see this beautiful, green, lush land, and then you see dirt. And the, and the guide says, now see the dirt? That's Lebanon. See the beautiful green? Israel. We're driving along. See the dirt? Jordan. See the green? Israel. And you know what? They can grow every kind of fruit known to mankind in that little tiny country. They have every kind of temperature. They can grow apples, which need cold, and they grow pineapples and banana, which, mean trop which needs tropical. Everybody wanted to trade with Israel. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And because these guys had rejected God, he said, you know what? Have nothing to do with them. Don't trade with them. Don't, don't buy them out. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't, don't go near them. And again, those who come against God and come against His people, the consequences are heavy. Israel would not trade with them. They would not enter into alliances with them. They would not intermarry with them, even though they were close neighbors. And it kept Israel from learning their evil ways and their customs. The Lord said, I don't want you to intermarry with them because they're godless. And if you do, you're going to fall into the same trap. Verse 7, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. The Edomites were the descendants of... Esau. Esau is the twin brother of Jacob. Jacob is Israel. That's what his name was changed to. So Jacob, Israel, his twin brother is Esau, and that's where the Edomites came from. And he said, you're not to abhor them. You're not to detest them. You're not to have hatred toward them because they are related to you. Now this part interests me. You shall not abhor an Egyptian because you are an alien in his land. Now wait a minute. What did we do in that land? We were what? They were slaves. Now, wait a minute. We're in bondage there for 400 years. We're not supposed to be upset with those guys? You know what I love about this? God remembers all the way back when they initially went into Egypt. Because when they initially went into Egypt, how did the Egyptians receive Joseph, right, and his family? They ministered to them. And much of what happened was not because of the Egyptians, but because of the pharaohs. It wasn't the people... It was the leaders. And so in this case, he says, don't abhor them. Remember that at one point they were a blessing to you. I'll tell you what, that's a picture of God's grace. It's an incredible picture of God's grace. God remembers everything done for his people. Today, the Bible says, even if we do anything in his name, he remembers. If we give someone a cup of cold water in his name, he remembers. Now what's interesting is Esau and Egypt are types of two different things. Esau is a type of... The flesh. Remember? I'll sell you my birthright for a bowl of soup. That's a bad deal, by the way. I'll give you double the inheritance. I'll let you, give me a bowl of soup. Esau, not real sharp, right? Egypt is a type of the world. So it's interesting that he says, don't hate the flesh necessarily, and don't hate the world. We have to carry this flesh around, amen? But we need to put it to death daily. You know, we're not supposed to cut up our flesh, right? Some people think they're supposed to, you know, I deny my flesh. I'm going to beat myself. I'm going to put sticks through my face. You seen these guys on TV? And I'm going to serve God by putting, no, I'm going to lay on nails. I'm going to torture myself. No, we're not supposed to do that. But we are to put our flesh to death daily. And we're not to hate the world. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We're to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. Amen? And so for God so loved the world. Amen? And too often we think, oh, you know, God doesn't want us to be separated to the point where we don't minister to the world. Now look what it says in verse 8. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So there was some consequences to their actions, 
But the third generation, the grandchildren of those who had come against them when they came out of Egypt, those could enter into the assembly of the Lord. Again, giving those generations an opportunity to make a stand for God. So the true heart of fellowship, things that can keep us from true fellowship, not reproducing, not being born from above, coming against God's people, being caught up with the flesh, being caught up in the world. And then next we see cleanliness within the camp. Verse 9. When the army goes out against your enemies, then keep yourself from every wicked thing. Keep that which will defile it outside the camp. Now what's interesting is that this section is applied to Israel's, Israel's soldiers when they're camped away from home, when they went out to battle. So when you go out to battle, keep yourself away from evil things. Do you know one of the greatest times of temptation for most people is when they're away from home? You get away from home, away from your wife, away from your family, away from accountability, and guess what? The enemy's waiting for you. Nobody's going to know. Who's going to know if you do this here? You're, you're a thousand miles from home. Nobody has any idea who you are. I've heard stories of pastors. One pastor told us at the pastor's conference a couple years ago. He goes, you know, he goes, look at me. I'm a short, fat, bald guy, right? And he goes, I get stuck on this island. I'm flying from here to here, and I get stuck on this island for two days. The airport's closed. And because it's closed, I'm hanging out down at the beach. It wasn't closed because of rain. Something else happened. He's hanging out down at the beach. He goes, I'm sitting on the beach. Here I am, this fat, bald guy. And he said, women are hitting on me left and right. He goes, it never happens, okay? So it's the enemy. He said, one woman dropped her keys on my blanket and told me where her hotel was. And the enemy's going, nobody knows you're here, right? Nobody will know. You're thousands of miles. Nobody here even speaks the language. That's the enemy at work. When you go away from home, guard even more. When there's no accountability, guard even more. And he's saying, you know, when you guys go out and encamp, when you go out into battle, keep yourself from every wicked thing. God commanded cleanliness among the army of Israel. Treat the camp as you would treat your land at home. Remember that the idol-worshiping nations believed. You know, idol-worshiping nations believed when they left home, they left their gods there. They thought... Okay, our God's the God of this country. We go to that country, then we need to know their God. And then we serve their God. If we go to another country, then we serve their God. So you got gods over regions. Well, guess what? Our God's everywhere. Amen? And so when we leave, we take God with us and the personal Holy Spirit living inside of us. And Almighty God is omnipresent, and everywhere He goes, we're with God. And so He's saying, look, when you go out, God's still with you. And when you go out, you still forbid every, you know, you stay away from every unclean thing. And guess what? Temptation's going to be at, at its height. And because of that, you need to be very diligent in keeping your eyes on the true and living God. Again, that's why it's so important that we have fellowship. So important that we have accountability. Because no matter where we go, God is indeed with us. But we need those to hold us accountable in our walk with God. Keep yourself from every wicked thing. Verse 10. If there is a man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. Okay, because he became unclean at night, what's this a picture of? Hidden sin. Done in the dark. Nobody knows but you. How many of you, how many of you have sin like that you deal with in your life? If your hand's not up, now you're lying and you got another one. Amen? Most, I, I truly believe that. I believe that most sin that we struggle with is hidden sin. Why? Because nobody knows. And the enemy will go, hey, nobody knows. It's, you know, who knows? You look really good. You know, you guys look to me really good. I don't know your thought life. I know mine, and I know I'm the chief of sinners. 
in my mind because I know what I struggle with. I know when I blow it. And so the enemy here, again, he says, you know, when there's that hidden sin, then you're to go outside the camp. Now, again, there'd be no accountability. Who would even know if he wouldn't go outside the camp? Well, guess what? If that hidden sin isn't dealt with, guess what happens? It causes problems for the entire camp. It brings the dirt and the filth of that sin into the camp. Hidden sin will be brought into your marriage. Hidden sin will be brought into your ministry. Hidden sin will be brought into your relationship with your kids. Hidden sin will destroy your walk with God. And so we need not to to take hidden sin lightly. Just remember, nobody knows, but God knows. Amen? And He's the only one that counts. And He knows. And so we're not fooling God by sinning in a place where nobody else sees us. God sees us. And that we need to respond to that conviction. And so he says there, if he becomes unclean at night, what should he do? He should go outside the camp. Then he should go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. Stay outside until it's dealt with. Stay outside until that hidden sin is taken care of and has been cleansed, until there's repentance. Then be restored back to a place of fellowship. Notice how he cleanses it. Look at verse 11. But it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water. And when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. The Bible says we're to sanctify our homes by the washing of the water of the word of God. And so he said, you go out and you must be cleansed first, and then you can be restored back to fellowship. Now, I want to make this clear so you don't don't get confused. The Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us, but we can break fellowship with him. Okay? Why? Because God can have unconfessed sin in his presence. We sin, we break fellowship. It's a poor analogy, but I'll use it anyway. I'm a dad. I have four kids. I love them all. They'll always be my kids. There's nothing they can do to stop being my kids. They're sitting at the table, and one of them turns around and smacks one of the other ones. And I discipline my child, and I send him up to his room. He's still my son. I still love him. He's still in my home. He's still part of my family. But we've broken fellowship. Why? Because he has sinned. Because he's broken fellowship with me. Now, if he comes down with the heart of repentance and says, Dad, I'm sorry. What am I going to do? I'm going to put him in my lap and I'm going to hug him. And I'm going to say, I love you, son. Now, that's our God. We'll always be his kids. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we can break fellowship by walking in rebellion against him. By walking in sin, carrying that hidden sin around. He says, you go outside the camp, you get cleansed of that sin, and then you can come back into fellowship. And, this, and you know what? Maybe you're here tonight. You've got some hidden sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. Well, praise God that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? And we ask God one time, and He will. He's faithful and just to forgive us. He is, and He will forgive you. And you know what? The enemy would love nothing more for you to keep that hidden sin hidden for the rest of your life. Just be as ineffective as you can. Have a saved soul and a wasted life, in a sense. As Alan Redpath said, it's possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. Be born again, but not having much of an impact on the world around us. That's not what God wants us to be. God wants us to have a huge impact on the world around us. Verse 12. And you shall have a place outside the camp when you go out. And you shall have an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you know what that means? When you go to the restroom outside... You shall dig with it and turn it over and cover your refuse. I love the, the words they use here to make this sound so clean. When you go sit down outside, take a tool with you and cover your refuse, okay? Right? When you go outside and use a bathroom, bring a shovel and cover it up before you leave. 
Now, you understand something. For these guys, this was something new. God commanded them to be sanitary, to have cleanliness among the army of Israel. Each soldier was to carry the equipment needed to do this. And it wasn't always convenient to get up in the middle of the night and march all the way outside of the camp. And especially a bunch of guys. Can't you just see a bunch of guys going, I ain't walking. Right here looks good to me, right? You know what I mean? And the Lord said, don't you do that. You're going to defile the camp, go outside, and cover it up when you're done. You know what? God is in- interested in us being sanitary. You know what? Everywhere where God is being glorified, they have the greatest amount of sanitation as countries. The dirtiest countries are the places where God's totally rejected. That's a fact. And God is into us, you know, being sanitary. Now, some say cleanliness is next to God. That's not in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in the Bible. But you know what? I think it's a true statement that God wants us to live clean and set apart lives and also to not walk around looking like, you know, we got drug in, by a, drug in behind a truck or something, right? Now, the camp was to be clean. So they take that implement and they were to cover up the refuse. And again, they went outside the camp dealt with it, covered it up, and came back. Again, leaving it away from the place of fellowship, getting rid of it. Verse 14, For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy, and he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. Why is it important that the camp be clean? Because that's where God lives or dwelt. God was dwelling in their midst. And he said, where I dwell, there can be no unclean thing. So any unclean thing that happens, take it outside of the camp and leave it there and bury it and don't bring it into my presence because I can't have it in my presence. Again, a spiritual type or picture that we need to take that stuff, that vile stuff, and bring repentance, right? Wash it by the water of the Word and enter back into fellowship with the Lord. Again, walking with them. He would be the one who would defeat their enemies. Uncleanness in the camp would result in God turning away from them. Hidden sin is a serious matter. It impacts not only us, but those around us and results in broken fellowship. As Christians, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are to keep ourselves from wickedness. And we are to deal quickly with all sin in our lives. Guys, gals, here's the thing. I believe spiritual maturity can be defined this way. The amount of time between when we sin and when we repent. The more we walk with God, the shorter that time is going to be. Sometimes immature in our faith can be days and weeks and months. As we start walking with God, it goes from days to hours, from hours to minutes, from minutes to moments, to where we're just convicted and immediately we're in that place of repentance and brokenness before God. And that's a sign of maturity in our walk with the Lord. And so he says very clearly here that all the uncleanness cannot be there because if it is, he will turn away from you. You know what? You may be struggling in your walk with God. It's again, not because God, it's not because, because of, God rejected you, but because you turned away from Him. And that caused a break in fellowship with the Lord. Cleanliness within the camp, things that can harm fellowship within the body, needed to be removed. Verses 15 and 16, placing a place of refuge for those seeking to escape bondage. And that's what the body should be. You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. Now, important to note, slave, not bond servant. Remember, a bond servant is a servant by choice. It's somebody who comes and says, I want to be your servant. I have no more debt to you, but I freely give myself to you to serve you the rest of my life. And they put it all through the ear to show ownership. And Paul referred to himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ, a slave by choice. 
Now these were not slaves by choice, but slaves to a tyrant, unjustly. And he says that they escape from bondage to that tyrant, and they come to you, don't send them back, receive them in. Who is the one who has enslaved most of the people on this planet? Who is a tyrant? The enemy. And what he's saying here is when they come to you, don't look at them and look at their past and look what they've been through and send them back to the enemy, but receive them into the camp and love on them and minister to them and make them feel welcome. When he ran from his former bondage, where did he run to find refuge? He runs to Israel. You know what? The word was out about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think people heard about the Red Sea parting? You think they heard about, you know, manna falling from the sky? You think they heard about them walking in and just wiping out their enemies before them? Of course they did. That's why the Moabites were so afraid of them. Don't you remember that? They've been wiping out their enemies left and right, and they're like, dude, we better curse them or they're going to get us next. And God had no design to go after the Moabites. But again, their fear was there because of the mighty hand of God. The enemy will attack, but remember that God is in control and He's faithful, and you and I have nothing to fear. Look at verse 16. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the place where he chooses, within one of your gates, where it seems best to him. You shall not oppress him. We're not to cast him out or mistreat him, but welcome him into their midst. All who seek refuge in the Lord are welcome no matter what their background. No matter what. You know, my heart, and one of the things that I'm blessed by you guys, is when somebody comes into this church, no matter what their background is, I honestly believe they feel welcomed and loved, and they should. And we need to make, a, we need to make an effort of that, amen? Don't just run to all the people you already know. Go find someone who's new and love on them. And it doesn't matter what their past is or their background is, because, again, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And he was a new creation in Christ, right? We can be new creations in Christ. God will transform us from the person we used to be to someone who has intimate fellowship with him. The true heart of fellowship lovingly welcomes a repentant foreigner into the family. Verse 17. There shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. Got some real neat stuff in this chapter, don't we? What was a ritual harlot? You know, there was a temptation to adapt God's word or the truth of of the gospel, in our case today, or the truth of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to compromise, to make it more like the religions that were around them at the time. There's nothing new under the sun. And so what he was saying is, look, the ritual prostitution that was going on in the pagan world was where these women were temple prostitutes dedicated to the service of these false gods, and then they would take all the money they would make from prostitution and then offer it to the God. And he said, you know what? None of that amongst the children of Israel. You don't sin or participate in sinful behavior for the sake of the gospel. You don't compromise the truth to reach a crowd. And when you do that, what happens is a palatable lie takes the place of a hard truth. You know, let's dial down the truth so people will receive it. That's very commonplace in the church today, isn't it? Don't talk about sin. That's a bad word, sin. People don't like that. Tell them they're a sinner, they won't like it. If you tell them they need a Savior, they won't like it. Don't talk about the cross, it's too bloody. Talk about being positive. Talk about having a good mental attitude. People like that. Tell people how wonderful they are. Tell them that about 30 times, right? And give them a real cushy place and make it really entertaining and, you know, and just make it a fun place to be and everybody will walk out with a big smile on their face on their way to hell, right? Because they haven't been told about the love of God. 
right? I mean, teach the truth. We're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And he said, look, don't compromise and don't fall into the trap of allowing the lie of the enemy into the body. Don't allow it into the camp. Don't bring these ritual harlots in. Now, ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel. There should not, that person shall not exist. Or a perverted one. This is speaking of a male prostitute involved in homosexuality. He says, don't do that. Don't, there's never, ever a reason for ever. God says no. Anybody who says that God, the Word of God doesn't teach against homosexuality has never read the Bible. It's all over the Bible. But uh, you know what, though? We all say amen to that. But he also says no adultery and no fornication. Amen? We need to understand that as well. Too often we want to, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really bad. Well, so is fornication. So is adultery. So is being involved in pornography. So is all these other sexual sins that we want to, oh, well, that's not as bad. Oh, they're all bad. And they all need to have, they all need to come from a heart of repentance and restoration before Almighty God. So we see here this immorality was not to be allowed among the children of Israel. The Canaanites gave their own children into prostitution as a form of worship. And it was a surrounding culture. Remember, it's not the culture that determines the standard. It's God's word that does. Amen? The culture around us, well, I had a, a close friend again who was a pastor in Germany and we were talking one time, and he was telling me how he would go out with people from church and, and drink beers all the time. I was like, dude. He goes, well, it's cultural in Germany. Everybody drinks beer. I said, but 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, for a pastor, he's not given to wine. Period. Yeah, but this is the culture. I go, what if the culture was to have nine wives? Would you do that? Well, no, I wouldn't do that. Okay. So the culture's not the standard. The Word of God is. Amen? Amen? And he wasn't very happy with me at the time. But then the next time I saw him, he said, you're right, bro. I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm, he, he's, I'm, I've had people come and tell me when I've been the wrong guy, all right? I went to sound like I've got it all figured out. But too often we think the culture determines the truth when the Word of God. Oh, the Word of God's so antiquated, though. Praise God. Because it's still the answer. Amen? And it's still the truth. Look at verse 18. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog. The price of a dog, you know what that's referring to? The amount of money the male prostitute made. The price of a dog, he's referred to here as a dog. Okay? God's pretty straight about how he feels about it. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to any vowed offering, for both of those are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot. You shall not bring the, again, this common practice of idolaters was to commit this sexual heinous stuff and then bring the money to their God. And he says, you know what? They do that. It's wrong. You don't do that. And again, what's a, the, the application for us? God wants no part of wages earned through sinful behavior. God doesn't need your money especially not your money from immoral or ill-gotten gains. Don't cheat on your taxes or play the lottery so you can tithe more. Amen? Amen. If you win $500 million in the lottery, don't give us a dime. I don't want it. That's an absolute fact. Other people say to me, well, Pastor Dave, if I ever win the lottery, I'm 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 going to give most of it to Calvary Chapel. I said, no, you're not. We don't want it. Why? Because it's gambling and it's not God's way of of doing it. So we don't want it. Where God guides, God provides through a godly way. And again, He doesn't want it, and neither do we. He doesn't want those ill-gotten gains that come from ungodly behavior. Verse 19 and 20. Do not profit from your brother's misfortune. You shall not charge interest to your brother. Interest on money or food 
or anything that is lent out at interest. Now, because he talks about food and stuff, what he's talking about here is you've got a brother or a sister that's down and hurting, going through a difficult time. He says, don't go to them and think, ooh, sweet, he's down. I can charge him 25% interest because he's got to have the money or they're going to starve. This is great. It's like when they used to have earthquakes and stuff, and people would, you know, you go into the grocery store, and a bottle of water, you know, the big jugs of water go from 99 cents to 4.99. They did that, and then they made it against the law and said, you can't do that anymore. Because they said, hey, we got them right where we want them. I and mean, we only got a certain amount of water. We got some, you know, batteries. Everything's up, three, oh, flashlights, right? Triple all the prices of everything. He says, don't do that to your brother. Don't see your brother hurting and then charge him usury. Don't charge him interest. You know what? When you see him hurting, minister to him. Give to him. Minister to him. Don't charge him any interest. Don't look at it as an opportunity, as a source for great gain. Verse 20. To a foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. So he says, look, when a foreigner comes in, they're coming in for one reason, to do business. And when someone comes in to do business, and they're investing money in a business to make a profit, it's okay to lend them money to get interest back, because that person is using that money to make money for themselves. And that's okay. But he says, don't, you know, don't do that to your brother who's hurting. Don't do that to your brother who's down. Your brother, you just give it to him. Don't charge him any interest. And look what it says. What a great promise is here. Who's going to bless you? What does it say in the verse? God is. Wouldn't you rather have God indebted to you than another man? Wouldn't you rather know that God said, you, you be on it, you be faithful, and I'll bless you. Okay, praise the Lord. That's good enough for me. Here's the money you need, bro. Pay me back when you can. I want to bless you. It's all God's money anyway. Here you go. And know that God is faithful and God will take care of you. Again, don't charge your brother interest. Don't look at him being hurt, him hurting to be an opportunity to make a buck. Remember this too. The Bible says in Proverbs, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Some of you may know that from, from credit card interest, right? Still paying off a sandwich from 1988, you know what I mean? Sandwich cost me $400, you know, by the time I pay it off. Minimum payments, they love, they, they love you if you pay minimum payments. Take you 97 years to pay your credit cards off, right? And so we know that we become enslaved to debt. And the Lord doesn't want us enslaved to debt. And that's another reason, though, we shouldn't enslave people to debt by charging them money at exorbitant interest. We shouldn't do that to people. Amen? Now, let me say this. I'll make it real clear. We're almost done. I know some people, like even in this church, who are helping somebody out, and they're giving them a loan at way lower interest than they could get at the bank. Now, I don't consider that usury. I consider that a blessing. Amen? Because they're not taking advantage of the person. They're really blessing the person. And so let's make it really clear. Some, oh, if you ever charge interest? And you know what? And you should not be the one demanding not to be charged interest either. Amen? Well, the Bible says you should give me money and charge me nothing, right? Don't do that. Right? Let the person who's giving it to you be the one that has that generous heart. And again... God is faithful. Lastly, be a man or woman of your word. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. When you make a vow to the Lord, don't delay to pay it. A vow to, before God is no small thing. God commanded that Israel should be careful to keep its vow and to fulfill its every oath. In many circles today, people promise and they don't mean it when they say it. When you take a vow, mean it and fulfill it, period. And if that means if it's to your own harm, if you made a commitment and you find out, whoops, that was a mistake, fulfill it anyway. 
Amen? I'm gonna, and again, some of you are going to get upset with me. That's okay. I don't believe Christians should, should file bankruptcy. Period. What are we doing? We made a vow, didn't we? Didn't we commit to pay our bills? Yes, we did. Is it the bank's fault that we lost? No, it's my fault. Amen? And then we turned around and we put it off on them. I don't believe we should do that. Why? Because we let our yes be yes and our no be no. Amen? We signed the paper. Let's be obedient. Let's pay it off. Let's be faithful to let our yes be yes and our no be no, even to our own harm. Verse 22. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. So if you don't make any promises, you don't have to worry about being caught up. right? You don't have to worry about sinning against God. But I do believe there's time to make oaths. There are people that teach you should never make an oath. Ever heard this before? Jehovah's Witnesses. You should never make an oath. Don't salute the flag. Don't make any oaths. Because in Matthew 5 it says, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, nor its footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. No, sure, you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is up from the evil one. So some people say, oh, see, we're not supposed to make oaths. That's out of context. You know what he's saying? He's saying our word should be so good that we don't need an oath. Well, our yes should be yes and our no should be no all the time, and so we shouldn't even have to say, I promise. All we have to say is, yeah, I'll do it. And people say, okay, man of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you know how we know this is true? Because Jesus answered under oath in court. So is Jesus wrong? Now what's the answer to that every time? No. Was Jesus wrong? Uh, No. Yeah, God himself swears the oaths, all right? Verse 23, that which is gone from your lips you shall keep and perform for your voluntary vow to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. When you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it, for he has, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, for he has no pleasure in fools. He says, if you make a vow, don't be slow to pay it because he has no pleasure in fools. Let's be people of our word. And lastly, the last two verses here. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into a neighbor's, uh, neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck from the heads of grain, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. You know what he's saying here? When you travel back in those days, there was no 7-Eleven on the side of the road. You couldn't drive through In-N-Out Burger, Right? So when you were traveling along, you could walk through someone's vineyard and you could get you know, a handful of grapes to satisfy yourself. But you're not supposed to be driving up with buckets and taking all their grapes, right? You could take a head of grain and rub it in your hand and eat the head of grain, but don't be going out there with a sheath and just harvesting the guy's whole crop and put it in your truck and driving home. Now, what, what's the application for this? We are not to... Take advantage of the generosity of others. Amen? Somebody's being generous, praise the Lord. But we're not to say, oh, this guy's being generous, so now I'm going to take advantage of him. Don't overstay your welcome. Don't expect to take more than has been offered to you. Amen? You know, be faithful. Say, hey, whatever, that's enough. And don't take advantage of your brother. This is a simple stuff. He's tearing all this. They're getting ready to go in the land of Canaan. They're going to see other things going on around them, but they're supposed to be different. So in closing, a true heart of fellowship, things that can keep us from fellowship, not reproducing, not being born from above, being caught up in false religion, things that can harm fellowship with the body, hidden sin, 
Sin that's undealt with, it defiles the whole camp. Providing a place of refuge for those seeking uh, to escape bondage. May we show kindness and compassion to those who are hurting. We're not to participate in sinful behavior for the sake of the gospel. Don't compromise the truth because you say it's going to reach people for Christ. Don't profit from your brother's misfortune. Instead, seek to bless him. Be a man or woman of your word. Be a person of, your, of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And lastly, do not take advantage of your brother's generosity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the practical truths in this chapter. Lord, we thank you for the exhortations for our own life. Lord, I pray for those of us who may be struggling with hidden sin. Lord, may be brought out into the light. Lord, may we confess it even tonight to somebody else. And then, Lord, may we come first with repentant hearts before you. Lord, I pray also for, for each of these other areas we've talked about tonight, that, Lord, we would realize that we must be born from above, that we can't be Rest in the fact that our parents know you. You have no grandchildren. Lord, I pray also, Lord, that we would not take advantage of those around us, that we would have a heart to minister to the people around us, that we would not bring sin into the camp. But Lord, we come before you with confessing hearts, desiring to watch, walk in holiness before you. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. You're a great and awesome God. Lead and guide and direct our every step. May we walk in obedience to you. Lord, we thank you that we need not fear this world because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world lord we love you and we praise you in jesus name we pray and all god's people said let's stand and close the worship song Mm -hmm.